He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. The number one show at 5 o'clock. And you know the reason it's the number one show? We have things that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, today we're going to have a, we have exclusive special. We have Mayor Eric Adams, uh, calling in in a few minutes. And, uh, he, uh, uh, he, uh, is going to give us his vision of 2023. Uh, in the studio we have, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, uh, Anthony Carbonetti, the chief. Hey, John. Chief, chief of staff to, uh, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor. Lydia Saran and I am I right? And then let's go to that exclusive interview with WABC Radio Mayor Adams. With us today is uh, Mayor Eric Adams. It's the conclusion of his first year in office, and he's uh, he's going to talk about his vision uh, in the f- for his second year in office. And uh, good morning, uh, good afternoon, Mr. Mayor. How are you? Uh, good afternoon. Great to speak with you and good to be on your show you know it seems like your show has all the known folks you you are really a real voice for new york well thank you um you've completed the first year in office a few days ago and uh, i've seen the statistics uh, for december and your crime uh, uh numbers are down uh do you see that continuing into january february march when you look at the crime pattern and some of the historical victories uh, we witnessed, particularly during the years when Bill Bratton was the police commissioner, uh, you saw how was, was crime trending, and that is what we're witnessing now. In January, uh, we saw that uh, from December, November, December of, of 2021, crime was trending up. When we entered January, we saw that continuing trend. And we knew we had to get a handle on the guns and gangs. Uh, They were driving a lot of our crime and a lot of repeated offenders. And now we're seeing in the latter half of the year, we're seeing crime trend downward. And we want to continue that success going into 2023. Now, Governor Hochul uh, is giving a state of the state next few days. uh, And... uh, uh, she has said that the two main problems is uh, crime and uh, housing. Uh, how do you see these? Do you, you feel those are our two main problems in New York City? Yes, 100 uh, percent. She is very clear and focused uh, that we must uh, live in our city in good, affordable housing, and we must be safe while we're living in our city. And she knows that the driver of crimes, for the most part, violent crimes, uh, we have a number of repeated offenders, recidivists throughout the entire state in general, but specifically here in New York City. And we're hoping to partner with her and the other lawmakers in Albany as we come together and zero in on these dangerous people so that we can make sure that they are no longer on our streets. That was part of the conversation I had yesterday with Reverend Al Sharpton, Dr. Hazel Dukes, and Jennifer Joan Austin, and my other colleagues throughout the state. How do we tackle the criminal justice problem we have in a real way? 
And uh, I, I understand that. And uh, this only happened in the last few years. And uh, we had the Police Athletic League uh, uh, Christmas party, a uh, holiday party, a few weeks ago. And uh, our district attorney came, who's a very nice guy. But I, I, I said to him, uh, look at the kids. We had about 1,000 kids there. I said, look at those kids. Do you want to see them die in the streets? And he realizes, no, he doesn't want to see him die in the streets. And uh, uh, we're all hoping he comes around and because there's a very, a, a very few criminals that are responsible for the overall crime situation. And um, we, want, we want a safe New York. We, we don't mind paying the taxes, but we want a safe New York. I think you feel the same way. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And you know what's interesting about your analysis? Uh, that you just shared, the problem we're facing among young people. We have an increase in the number of young people who are shot, an increase in the number of young people who are doing shooters, an increase in young people who are the victims of crimes. And we must really zero in on how do we create a safe environment for our young people and go after those who are harming our young people. And that's what we are doing. Uh, uh, John, when you look at what we are doing around increasing some of youth employment, over 90,000 young people, increasing in what we uh, held and kept schools open during the summer months, uh, what we're doing about justice involved young people. I don't think there has ever been a mayor that has been more focused on dealing with the feeders of crimes and how do we protect young people that I have been focused on in my administration. I, I agree with you because you see the problem because it, it, it's not the white kids that are, are suffering. It's the black and brown kids that are suffering and, 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 and the black community and the Hispanic community. And, and I'm glad you're on top of it. And uh, hopefully we could solve that problem. So New York will be the greatest city in the world again. Uh, the other problem we have uh, is the small businesses uh, are suffering. Uh, there, I understand it's a statistic that came out. I'm not sure it was the uh, NYPD. 332 shoplifters are responsible for 32,000 crimes. Now, to allow 332 people to abuse the businesses of our city, it, it's, it's horrible. And maybe uh, you can talk about that. And we had a summit at... Gracie Mansion with the attorney general, district attorneys, uh, police, uh, store owners, uh, those from major chain stores up to the large department stores uh, to talk about and drill specifically into the issue. And it broke into two categories. Number one, there was a group of people who are recidivists, repeated offenders, who were dealing with the basic needs uh, that they felt they had to still to accomplish that. And we needed to come up with a plan on how do we deal with someone who has a drug problem or who believes they must still to eat. Our goal is to direct them where the city resources are located so they won't continue, continuously go into our stores and still and really hurt our small businesses and our chain stores. Then there was another group that we find that they're organized crime, uh, they are going in, stealing, and hiring large number of people to go in to steal goods and sell them on the Internet or in other ways of selling them. The Attorney General and I, we partnered to go after uh, one of the main 
racketeers who is doing this, but there are more who are doing this. And so there's a dual approach because you're right, John, we cannot continue to see the erosion of our small businesses, our chain stores. They hire New Yorkers, and we need to have them stay here. If they leave our market, it's going to have a major impact on our economy. But we have to send a strong message that you cannot walk into a store, steal whatever you want, and walk out without any repercussion, and we're not going to allow that to happen. I agree. Uh, and so many, uh, I think 784 uh, stores have, chain stores have closed in the last uh, uh, 12 months, and Rite Aid closed all 27 stores in Manhattan. Uh, and sooner or later, it's going to hurt the people in the uh, uh, black and brown communities, too, because they're going to have no place to get their drugs or shop. Um, and, and it's more than yeah. that, John. Yes, there's, there's, they're not going to have places to shop, but also walk in those stores and see who's working there. It's clearly those stores are you know, the first level of moving into uh, the, the middle class, is employment. Uh, many of the people who are there are providers of their families, their students, uh, their individuals who are going on to expand on their careers. So when you lose those stores, it feeds into the unemployment. And that is what we must understand. You can't have a small number of people being destructive and damaging industries, and it, that damage will cascade throughout the entire city. I agree 100%. Uh, the third problem that exists is uh, we're uh, we're losing a lot of middle class. I think in the last 24 months, statistics say, and I don't know how much of that is New York City versus New York State, that we lost 484,000 uh, middle class and above people that left New York City, New York State. Now, if we lose 484,000 and we gain a uh, hundred thousand of people that need welfare and the city has to pay for them sooner or later, the numbers are going to blow up. When you think about it, and I say this over and over again, uh, people must connect the dots. 50 to 51% of our taxes are paid by 2% of New Yorkers. We must understand the role that high income New Yorkers play in this city. And when I hear people uh, totally attempting to say they don't play a significant role, that is just wrong. They do. And they love this city as much as a low-income New Yorker would love this city. We are all part of the same financial ecosystem. So we want the person who drives the limousine to be paid a good salary, and we want the person who sits in the back of the limousine to use their discretionary dollars to go to our theaters, to contribute to our nonprofits, to contribute to our museums, our boards, and all of the things that high-income earners are doing. That is the ecosystem that allows us to be a great city. And so we don't want them fleeing the city, going to other municipalities. And that's why I am finding that no matter who I speak with, uh, no matter if it's the driver of the limousine or the one that sits in the back, they want a safe, clean city where they can raise healthy children and families, and we have an obligation to provide that. You're absolutely Every cab driver, every Uber driver tells me the same thing. All they want yeah. is a safe, clean city. 
Yes. So the, the vision for 2023 is those three problems we talked about, and I think that we're, we're in the grasp of uh, you half the pro- half the problem of fixing them is having a, a chief executive officer, which you're the chief executive officer of uh, New York City, uh, having the knowledge that the problems exist. So hopefully we can fix them. Yes, uh, we are extremely optimistic. I say all the time to use the best analogy. Uh, 2022 was my rookie year. 2023 is my Aaron Judge year. I'm trying to knock it out the park this year. Uh, we have a lot of things in the pipeline uh, that I believe uh, we are going to be able to roll out and implement as we deal with the real crises uh, that cities are facing across the entire country. Uh, all of our cities are struggling with crime, economy. Uh, some of us are struggling with the migrant issues. Uh, we know that here in New York, we are American city, and if we get it right, it is duplicated across the entire country. And, and our goal is to build the right team, which we are really pleased with our team. We're transitioning. I'm losing uh, my chief of staff, who was a good friend and advisor for many years. But we're bringing on a dynamic chief of staff, and Camille, who's really a solid, solid uh, person that can manage the team. And we bring on a new uh, first deputy mayor. Uh, today, Lorraine Grillo is 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 leaving to go into private life. She has been an amazing anchor for the team. Uh, we're now bringing on Sheena Wright, who's going to fill her spot. But we have so many good leaders with years of expertise in and out of government to solve these difficult problems that we're facing. 20, Mr. Mayor, we're almost out of time, but 2026 is uh, America's uh, 250th year. I hope we can come up with a dream to do to bring New York back and help celebrate that in some way uh, in, in the future. Uh, but uh, a dream is a dream. We have to figure it out. Yes, and you know what? It, it is a dream. And I tell people all the time, John, uh, there is no other country on the globe where dream is attached to its name, only the American dream. And that dream is a reality. And you and I are symbols of that dream. We may have come from different pathways of your hard fight to open your supermarkets and then uh, become the person who you are. Uh, that is part of the dream. My dream of growing up in South Jamaica, Queens, you know, experiencing dyslexia but now the mayor of the city of New York. Uh, that is only in America. And so when I hear people talk about the things that America can't do, I tell them the things America has done. We're all part of that dream, John, and I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be a New Yorker, and I'm proud to be part of the American dream. I, I feel the same way. I grew up in in Harlem on the west side of Manhattan, 135th Street, and um and this city, this city made made me who I was or who, who I am. And I work with you together. Uh, and uh, New York is the greatest city in the world, and we're going to make sure it stays the greatest city in the world. Well thank said. You, Mr. Well said. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, for coming on and giving us the state of the city and uh, and which way we're going. And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Yes. Take care. Wish you well. Happy New Year's. Carl, Happy New Year. That was some interview, John, that you did with Mayor Adams. And when we come back, we'll be speaking with Larry Kudlow. Keep it right here, Cats at Night. 
Your commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And uh, the stock market had an amazing day today. It, it was up 700 points. Interest rates went down a great deal. With us today is the country's number one economist, Larry Kudlow. How are you, Larry? I'm great, John. How are you? Well, you know, we're great today. I mean, it seems like uh, uh, things are going the right way. But you tell us. Uh, you're, the, you're the leading economist. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Listen, a lot of, couple of interesting things. Number one, Kevin McCarthy will be the new speaker. Uh, the Freedom Caucus guys came over. And by the way, <clears throat> I give them a lot of credit because they really uh, strengthened the committee system, regular order. Uh, much tougher budget restraint is coming, uh, no tax hikes, regulatory authority. A lot of very good things came out of this process. Um, they may be able to wrap it up this evening. If not, uh, the final votes will be tomorrow. I'm calling this the McCarthy rally. Uh, you need some good news on a Friday. The other thing was, in the jobs report, um, you saw very soft wages and maybe – that will prevent the Fed from destroying uh, the whole rest of the economy or what's still around. The wages barely went up uh, two-tenths of 1%. And actually, in production, manufacturing hours worked, uh, fell. And overall, you know, it was kind of a weak number. So maybe the Fed's got one more rate hike in front of them for a quarter of a point, and maybe that'll slow them down. But the market liked that as well. And I think the market liked the certainty about what's going on in the House because Joe Biden's big government socialism is going to have a very hard time with a strong Republican House that will use the power of the purse at least to stop the bad stuff. And they may encourage some good things as well. Well, you know, as Americans, the law of checks and balances has always been with us and with a House and a Senate divided, that's pretty good checks and balances. I know. I think that's exactly right. Absolutely right. And it's a good example of representative democracy and how well our system works. And, you know, John, I talked to Thomas Jefferson a couple of times in the past week, and he told me that this was going to work out okay. And as usual, Mr. Jefferson was right. Well, it sounds good. I mean, did you congratulate him? He did a good job uh, creating the New York Post. <laughs> no, that was Hamilton. That was Hamilton. Oh, it was Hamilton. Okay. Hamilton was okay. I'd like to reflect on Larry should be speaking to James Madison, too, because he was the constitutional guy. L- Larry, well, I, to- I, did, I did speak to Madison earlier in the week. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, it's Tony Carbonetti. The only guy. The only guy, George Washington, will not return my call. return your call? Well, you know, you, uh, Rudy Washington, that's on our show often, he says he's a long lost uh, cousin or or uh, relative of George Washington. Well, I love that. You know, you get out your Ouija board. It's a horse of a different commune. color. That's all. You can commune with these guys. <laughs> but um, I'm glad to see the markets uh, coming back. Today. I was attributing the rally to there being no Congress. I figured Wall Street was happy. That was the, that's the think, Will Rogers rule. But I think John is right. I mean, I think this. The checks and balances is very good. You had three House, three Democrat houses. It didn't work out. Some damage was done to the economy and to national security. 
uh, and to the uh, to the border story and to the whole oil and gas story. So, you know, voters spoke. I know it wasn't a landslide and I know it wasn't as large as the cavalry that I hoped for. But nonetheless, there's big changes coming in Washington and checks and balances are very, very important. I think it's what Americans want. I love our system. Let's just to, it's the greatest system in the world. And Absolutely. It's the greatest country in the world. And despite all the cynicism and so forth, nonetheless, the story is going to work out just fine. And I think that's just a terrific thing. Larry, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. My problem is you have runaway administrative agencies who are taking it upon themselves to establish this Green New Deal and make us Well, the EPA today uh, went wild again. Right. I mean, this is serious business. The Congress has to keep these people in check. And the courts, by the way, have to keep the these people in check because they're legislating through it agencies and you're not supposed to be able to do that well i think you know biden's regulatory assault there was a good story today in the washington times about the extraordinary extraordinary regulatory burdens that the bidens have imposed on the economy something like 330 uh, um, rules of quote-unquote economic consequence which means a hundred million dollars or more and that is just the most extraordinary blanket choking off the economy, choking off the energy sector, choking off business in general. Now, look at, consider this, though, using the power of the purse, and this was one of the reforms that came to the front with the uh, Freedom Caucus, the power of the purse can go after this. They can go after the individual agencies and roll back. Now, it's not an easy thing, mind you, because it's executive branch regulations. But the power of the purse is very, very important and at the minimum can slow this regulatory assault down. I mean, this, and this is why I've called it big government socialism. It was originally Newt Gingrich's term. It's a bunch of central planners, you know, so-called experts, most of whom have never been a day in their life in business. They don't know how our free enterprise system works. So this is going to be part of the challenge of the new Republican House, but I think they will fight hard on it. The, Larry, the $87 billion question, will they really, you know, will they really be able to uh, cut down the, the IRS uh, uh, auditors of 87000 I mean, listen, I don't mind 10000 20000 but 87000 auditors? Or is it just a lot of uh, BS to make us feel good? Don't find them. Well, no, I mean, what the way they will have to deal with that is through the next budget. Uh, this was one of the problems with the omnibus bill because um, this stuff could have been stopped sooner, John. But the next budget will be for FY24, and they will defund the uh, $80 billion uh, authorization. That money has been authorized. It has not yet been fully appropriated. It has been partially appropriated. Um, they can kill most, if not all, the rest of it through whatever reconciliation occurs. Um, you won't see that. I don't know. I'm going to make a guess until sometime next summer. But you can be sure. I mean, this is an important thing. Stay with me on this. The idea, and this is the House, uh, again, the Freedom Caucus did a terrific job on this, Jim Jordan and the rest of them. Um, what's called regular order. There will be a bu 
budget resolution coming out of the budget committee, and then the 12 appropriation bills will be worked through the 12 appropriation committee subcommittees. There will be open hearings. It will be transparent. Uh, experts from both sides of the aisle will be called on to testify about the level of spending and the policies inherent in that spending. And that's how they're going to go after that. And that's how they're going to go after a lot of the extreme things that have gone on in the last two years. So it's very, very important. I don't mean to get too technical in the weeds, but, um, you know, I grew up, I was Reagan's budget deputy, uh, and I understand how important this process is. It's been neglected for 20 years. So hopefully it will be brought back. Larry, have a great weekend. And you're going to be on WABC, our number one show Saturday mornings from 10 o'clock to, to 1 o'clock. Tune in to Larry Kudlow on WABC, 770 on your dial, and WABCradio.com. And, Larry, have a great weekend. Thank you, John. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crack. Well, we're back. And there was some big breaking news today. The Staten Island Ferry Hawks are getting a World Series New York Yankee as a, their new manager. And with us on the phone is uh, Eric Shuffler, the president of the Ferry Hawks. And we have, I'll let, I'll let Eric Shuffler uh, introduce him. Go ahead, Eric. Hey, John. Uh, great to be on. You know, our Ferry Hawks, New York City's top minor league professional baseball team. We are super excited to announce that World Series champion, all-around awesome guy, super knowledgeable baseball, Homer Bush, uh, has joined as our manager for our 2023 season. Homer, welcome back to New York. John, how you doing, sir? Thank you for having me. Well, good. It's always (laughs) good to hear your voice, and you're coming back to New York. And I understand, Eric tells me, you're going to win the World Series of the Atlantic (laughs) League for Staten Island. Yes, sir. We're going on the record with that, baby. Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay, I'll be looking forward to it. Tell tell us uh, uh, what your plans are uh, for Staten Island uh, Ferry Hawks, and and it's going to be a, a whole New York team. Staten Island is their home, but all New Yorkers are, are, are welcome to come down. Yes, sir. You know, the, uh, the vision is to bring an a exciting uh, style of baseball. Uh, you know, we're going to be uh, huge in the community. Uh, you know, we really want to build a, a winning culture that will last for years in Staten Island. Let me tell you something. It's Tony Carbonetti, Homer. How are you? By the way. Uh, the Staten Island Stadium is the house that Rudy built. Rudy Giuliani <laughs> helped build that house, right? Well, I, I also did all of those World Series parades that Homer participated in the 1998 parade. And I was just going to tell you, I'm sure John can swing a, a Canyon uh, of Heroes parade if you guys win the, the division. John, I'll get you a parade down, down Broadway. Let's do it. And, Tony, I tell you, that 98 parade, I still tell stories right this day. There were people 
10 streets deep on oh, the it was five amazing. rolls. They were, oh, my God, it was the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of. What you guys did for New York City during that period, uh, I mean, extending then past 2001, amazing. The, the Yankees just kept the, the, the spirit of New York City alive. That's awesome, and I'm excited, uh, glad to be a part of it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and now we're going to go to Washington. Thank you guys for calling in. Now we're going to go to Washington and find out what the heck is going on in uh, Washington. Thank you, guys. Yes, Play sir. ball! <laughs> so now we have Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis on with us to let us know what is going on. So it looks like McCarthy lost his 13th consecutive vote, but it looks pretty promising that you guys I heard are... rumors that 10 o'clock could be the magic time. Uh, what do you what say, you, Nicole? Yeah, we're, we're hopeful we can seal the deal at 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, we've been working in good faith, all the members collectively, to um, hash out some other, uh, you know, rules changes and an agreement uh, where we would be happy with proceeding now. Uh, with the House. Now, as you know, I've been supportive of uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I voted for him uh, all, was it 14 rounds now? Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to see that the momentum is moving in his favor and that the holdouts uh, are joining, you know, Jim Jordan, President Donald Trump, myself, 91% of the conference, as well as uh, over half the Freedom Caucus in supporting uh, Leader McCarthy, who uh, we believe uh, has really worked collectively with our group to see how we can improve the House. Nobody wants to be in a chamber that was run the way Nancy Pelosi ran it. We want to be able to have time to read the bills. We want to be able to make sure that the bills that we're passing are not contributing further to inflation. We want to make sure that we're responsible and working to pay down our debt and, and working toward a balanced budget. Um, so if we're spending money, it has to come from somewhere. It can't come out of the sky like the socialists think, think it does. Um, so I think we're making tremendous progress. It's, a, it's you know troubling to me that it took so long to get here, particularly when for months we had been working together uh, very honestly to uh, seek improvements to the way that the House functions. Um, but nonetheless, it, we have made progress today. And the remaining holdouts are people who I think uh, just don't like uh, – Kevin McCarthy for maybe personal reasons, um, but uh, you know, and, that, and that's unfortunate that they're not willing to put the conference in the country ahead of their own uh, personal beliefs or ambitions. And so, you know, we we feel strongly that we can make this happen tonight and finally move forward to do the job that we were elected to do. Because as I said uh, earlier this week with you, we have a number of pieces of legislation that uh, we put together over the last two years to solve the crises. And we're eager to pass those bills and get them on the Senate's desk uh, and, and embarrass the Senate into trying to make some changes as it relates to the border, as it relates to energy, uh, energy production, as it as it relates to inflation uh, just, and public safety. Nicole, it's just common sense. Nicole Mayutakis, thank you for calling in and thank you for your common sense. And let's catch up and hopefully we'll, we'll have a, a some common sense tonight at 10 o'clock. Thank you, Nicole okay, Manitakis. Well, stay tuned and watch C-SPAN. Thank you. Uh, Keep thank us posted. You. Uh, and uh, now uh, we had Newt Gingrich call in before, and we taped it because he was in between shows. Uh, let's go to Newt Gingrich to, to tell us what the heck is going on and, and uh, how embarrassing this is. And no, Speaker Gingrich, what the heck is going on? Well, you had a very narrow election. 
and about 20 members of the House saw an opportunity to try to blackmail the rest of the conference uh, to do the things they wanted done. And uh, even though 90% of the conference voting consistently with Kevin McCarthy, 10% were prepared to take advantage of this unique moment where there was a very narrow margin. Now, narrow margins are not unusual. Uh, McCarthy has the same margin that Nancy Pelosi had, but because the Democrats are a machine, she was able to ram through trillions of dollars in spending. Uh, Denny Hastert had a five-vote margin at one point, and he became the longest-serving Republican speaker in history. So uh, <clears throat> they took advantage. They were prepared to take the heat, uh, and they broke into, I think, two groups, people who cared about and who really wanted to get to a more cons conservative and more open Congress, had a handful of people, probably three or four or five, who really disliked McCarthy. Uh, and there's nothing McCarthy can do to get their votes. Uh, the most he can do is try to get them to vote present, in which case they don't count against his majority. But when you start out at 222 and you have to have 218 uh, if everybody votes, uh, you really are have very limited maneuvering room. Uh, the impressive thing to me is that on, on every single vote, and this is now the most votes taken since 1855, uh, on every single vote, over 200 Republicans have served McCarthy. Uh, so the most that have ever voted against him is 20. So literally it's been about a 90-10 split. Uh, and I think gradually the year that were and that were philosophically conservative that could be done to, to bring back in most of the dissidents, although a handful of them, uh, it's almost psychological. They just really hate Kevin. Great to be with you, and frankly, it's going to be an exciting 2023. God bless you, and we'll catch up soon. Good. Take care. Now, we're going to catch up with uh, Newt Gingrich on Sunday, and we'll finish that interview on Sunday. But let's take a break, and when we come back, there's some breaking news in the medical industry on Alzheimer's, and uh, let's, we'll, we'll be going to uh, Dr. Michalos, but let's take the break first. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Breaking news, WABC. Florida Governor DeSantis declaring a state of emergency activates the National Guard over the wave of migrant arrivals. So that's pretty incredible what's going on there. And bringing in and talking more about this, and we're seeing a lot of diseases we haven't seen in a very long time. Hmm. Where are they this, coming from? I, I have no idea. Dr. How are Mikulos, they getting here? I don't Dr. Mikulos, maybe. Over the border. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mikulos, does this surprise you that we're seeing a resurgence of all these diseases just coincidentally when we're seeing all these migrants pouring into our country? How many have there been so far since Biden administration? Five, six million? Yeah, just five. Just five million. I'm sure they're all vaccinated. What do you think, Dr. Mikulos? Well, without getting political and sticking to the medical facts, just look up the history of Ellis Island and what the medical process was even 100 years ago to get through the whole process. Uh, I was reading uh, on Ancestry when uh, great-grandpa came in 1908, and then he wrote some notes in his diary. They went through 
state they went through physicals and all kinds of testing even back then and if there so was a hundred years ago they had common sense to screen yeah. people coming into the country oh yeah they did very heavy screening if you had uh, any type of a problem now? they were just you know basically you couldn't come in that's why Ellis Island was the stopping point so I, I think uh with health care you know again it's a public health issue just like having people on the street and homeless and all these people running around it's a public health issue because it's not only those people deserve and need, they need to get help, but it's also the other people that you're spreading. TB is coming back. We're seeing resurgence of diseases, you know, polio's popping up again. So we're seeing things that we never saw before, and I think we're going to be seeing more of it. So I think we need to turn this and declare it a public health issue uh, to help these people and also protect uh, American citizens who are paying taxes. And the Constitution says you got to protect uh, the citizens of the uh, United States and uh, health is important, but on some exciting news about uh, for Alzheimer's patients, because 3 million people a year have Alzheimer's, Biogen announced uh, that the FDA gave them fast-track acceleration of lecanemab, which is a drug that basically eats up and breaks away those beta-amyloid proteins, which are these unhealthy deposits that build up in the brain and accelerate Alzheimer's, which is the seventh leading cause of death in the United States. And it basically dissolves these clumps, and uh, the data was pretty good. It did have some side effects in some people with brain swelling, but the, statistically it did very well from mild to moderate cases. And uh, it's an infusion that you get uh, every two weeks, and that's exciting news for people, for all of us who know people who have gone through Alzheimer's, where you lose your memory, your cognitive abilities. I think that's very uh, exciting news. And uh, other exciting news that we're seeing came out of uh, – Moderna with cancer vaccines and melanoma, when they gave uh, two drugs, one called Keytruda, the one that saved President Jimmy Carter, with the vaccination, basically they take a sample of your melanoma and they find the surface proteins on it, make a vaccine to attack your own personal melanoma that, that you got diagnosed. So it's a personalized vaccine. And this is a form of immune therapy uh, vaccines that we're going to be hearing about more and more. And also right here in New York, some amazing work being done at Columbia University on immune therapy and these new vaccines. So when we get diagnosed and they take a piece of our tissue, they're also going to have an extra cup that they're going to send off to the personalized cancer vaccine lab where you're going to, they're going to make up a vaccine just for your tumor. And then probably you know, a few weeks later, because now with this new technology, you can make these vaccines in a few weeks, you'll get a shot and it'll help slow it down and, uh, Things for pancreatic and breast cancer and the pipeline as we speak. So this is some exciting things that we can look forward to. So we're not as terrorized when we get a diagnosis of cancer. So what are the chances? What are the chances is this Alzheimer's drug working? Well, it's showing that it improves people by thirty percent. But when you're in a hopeless situation, thirty percent is a lot. But it opens up the door that they've actually shown that you can actually start cleaning up and breaking up these amyloid plaques, which are thought by most scientists to be the cause of Alzheimer's. So it opens up the window to a whole nother branch. So this is maybe the first drug that they've shown that really starts to eat up these clumps. And now people will start developing other uh, and they're even working on a Alzheimer's type mm -hmm. vaccine, a vaccine that will wow. end. Uh, antibodies to try to eat up and uh, and block some of these uh, amyloid Dr. proteins. Dr. Mihalos, uh, we're getting a call in from Washington from the floor of the Congress. Uh, 
tell me, you're going to be on Sunday's Cats Roundtable. What are you going to talk about? We're going to be talking about the emissions diversion di- diversion scheme of electric cars and how they're not as uh, carbon neutral or carbon positive as people think they are. And that's the Cats Roundtable. Uh, and we're on the, uh, and Dr. Michalos on a national show between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock on uh, on Sunday, this Sunday. And Dr. Michalos, we'll, we will talk to you on Sunday. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, and God bless America and the Cats Roundtable. Thank you. Let's go to Washington. Now we have with us uh, Florida Republican Congresswoman Kat Kamek. She joins us again on Cats at Night. Uh, Congresswoman, tell us the latest. What do you think McCarthy Is it can- a real cat fight? Will McCarthy pull this one out? Hey, everybody. Yes. Uh, You know, I said at the beginning of this week, despite several of the challenges and uphill battles that we were facing, I said, I think we will, one, have Kevin McCarthy as speaker when it is all said and done. And two, I think we will be better for having gone through this process. And now three, I will say that tonight at 10 p.m. when we reconvene, I think that this will be the final ballot where we end it with a speaker, a Republican speaker, and we will be able to swear in all members of Congress and get to work. That's a, a wow. You're highly confident. You, pre, you feel good about it? I, I do. You know, John, I, I have, uh, I, along with several of my colleagues, we have had several sleepless nights this week. We have been working our tails off, um, really working through some of the finer points of the, the rules package, which has been the, uh, sticking point of all of this. Um, and that has been challenging because, you know, obviously people's tempers get, you know, uh, a little flared and emotions run high. And um, the goal has been to have as many people in the room that are cool, calm, collected, being thoughtful about this process, making sure that we get the most conservative rules package that really gets to the core of all the things that we've talked about for, gosh, years, and we're actually now in a position to do it. And so I, I think that has been um, a long process but a worthwhile one, and I'm very confident after we saw 14 people flip their vote to Kevin McCarthy today uh, after a, a log jam of sorts, I have on good authority that a couple of my colleagues will be uh, voting present, and that helps us get to the threshold that we need in order to get us sworn in, take our oaths of office, and then subsequently fire well, 87,000 IRS agents. Congresswoman, it's Tony Carbonetti. If hey. you have 100 days, in the first 100 days, if you start beating back some of these harsh regulations against energy that the Biden administration has imposed, if you govern effectively, people will forget all about this. This will yeah, all be no, in the rearview mirror. The yeah, first 100 days, the grab it and run with it. I tell you, the this agenda that we have, and I think that's also why people were so frustrated that this was being held up. We have worked for the last year and a half with every single member of this conference. They all had a seat at the table, and everybody put everything they had into putting legislation together to be ready for this day. The day is here. We have to seize the moment. We were given the majority by the American people. It's time to lead. And for those that have been holding out and using it as a fundraising mechanism or folks that have said, listen, I just have a personal vendetta and I just I can't get there. Well, that's that's so bottom line. You think it was show business? I think there are very uh, specific members who are using this as in that way. Yes. But by and large, I have great respect for some of the 20 that 
that were the holdouts. And like I said, there were some finer points on the rules negotiation, but we're at that point now where they're saying, we know how this ends. It's There's no good reason to hold out any longer. We got what we wanted. It's time to, to sign on the dotted line and let's go. Congresswoman, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. So which issues are you going to be hitting first? Uh, once we get sworn in, the big thing is first bill up is firing 87,000 IRS agents. That is first item on the docket. Second, we're going to secure the border. Uh, then we're going to get to work on restarting the domestic energy supply in the country. We have a litany of work to do. In fact, the first two weeks of our legislative calendar is already booked and ready to go. So I'm really excited, and I know members are ready to get to work. And uh, I just appreciate you guys taking the time to hear about what was really going on behind the scenes because so much of what the media has reported has been factually inaccurate. The rules package that has been negotiated actually took place over the course of several weeks and months, and it hasn't changed. Um, there's just been, like I said, some some things that got misreported and people were getting a little bit personally uh, they felt like they were being personally attacked, and that's not helpful. That's why I said, you know, it's it's important to acknowledge that there were a lot of people with cool, calm heads in this process getting us closer to the things that the American people care about. Congresswoman Kamek, I want to talk to you about the Department of Energy's recent report that was released late December, obviously kind of right there under the radar, that the Keystone XL project would have created up to 59,000 jobs and would have had a positive economic impact of up to $9.6 billion. Is there any hope to revive that? I mean, this is such a this is such such a damning report against the Biden administration, just how devastating his his energy policy has been for America. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, while I specifically I hadn't seen that report, I can tell you, uh, several months ago, we were uh, doing an event with Americans for Prosperity and showing the true cost of Washington, where we lowered the gas prices down to the day before Joe Biden took office. And that was $2.38. And uh, that was at that point in time, more than a dollar cheaper than what people were paying at the pump. So uh, one of the people that came to this event, they actually said, you know, I actually got laid off. I was a welder. I worked on that pipeline and I moved to Florida because the job wasn't there for, any, for me anymore. And I recognize that this administration, they don't believe in domestic production of energy, and that's national security. So that's why I'm that's in the right. Sunshine State. That's what he said. But that's what we have to get a hold of. And part of what we're doing with this new Republican majority is we're going to hold these swamp creatures, these unelected bureaucrats that control so much of the regulatory environment, pushing domestic production out of business. That's where we're going to hold them accountable and defund them. And that is so critically important because they may say that there are leases out there, but they're not approving any applications. And that's how we can hold them. I understand that the the EPA has been given orders to to go and attack uh, the industry again. The fossil fuel industry. Yeah, the fossil fuel industry. That is all they know how to do. And so that's why us having the power of the purse and playing hardball Mm -hmm. is going to be so important. And also I'll say as part of this rules package that we've negotiated um, in the last several months and weeks, that includes a a new rule. It's called the Holman rule that allows us to zero out departments. That's how we can get after these unelected bureaucrats that take these orders from the administration that has completely hijacked the entire process legislatively. 
Uh, Repub- uh, Representative Kamek, uh, Governor DeSantis, he just declared a state of emergency over the number of migrants pouring in. Do you see other states following DeSantis's lead? I hope so. You know, um, I was speaking with Border Patrol agents today, and they acknowledge that the White House has um, started to communicate with them over the number of illegals that have been encountered at the border. And, of course, being a Floridian, the fact that we've had to shut down a state park, a national state park, um, the Tortugas, because of the amount of illegals that are coming across, that's really problematic. And for months, we've been seeing these punt boats with We're drugs. at a time. A quick question. Uh, is the, was the big issue spending? No, no. I think uh, there were some issues about committee assignments things. I understand. Well, thank you, Kat, for coming on uh, uh, to uh, the show. And keep us, uh, uh, text me whenever you can and let me know what the heck is going on. God bless you. And God bless America. Thank you. And what do we stand for, John? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America, and we need God's help. You're commuting home with Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC.